very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Growing Dentist podcast show. This is your host, Nareen. I'm super excited to have my friend, Gary Tuckers, back with me to do part two of our interview. Gary, as you all know, is the one who got podcasting started, you know, in the entire dental profession. He's the pioneer. And since then, he has done a lot of interesting podcasts and shared hundreds and hundreds of hours of wisdom for all of his listeners all around the world. He's also the founder of Thriving Practice Academy and owns a practice in uh, Arizona, right? That's correct, in Phoenix, Arizona. Arizona. So a lot of what he teaches his clients, he actually tests it himself in his own practice. So Gary, welcome back. Naren, thank you so much for having me back. It was a pleasure to be on your show and I'm excited to uh, continue the discussion today. Thank you, Gary. I really enjoyed our conversation and I know we talked about six attributes or six characteristics of a thriving dental practice. And uh, maybe we can kind of recap what we discussed last time and jump right in. And, you bet. Uh, and also, for those of, of our listeners who haven't met you just yet from the last podcast, in case they missed the last one, maybe you could give us a quite quick intro about yourself and what you do before we jump into the, you know, the meat of the podcast. You bet. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Naren. Uh, I've had the privilege of working in dentistry for the last 37 years. I st- actually started in 1980, and it's been uh, a wonderful journey over these last 37 years. Uh, my background, I'm not a dentist. I've never been a dentist. My background is the business side of dentistry. Uh, I started a coaching firm in 1989, and uh, our primary business is uh, helping dentists develop a a thriving practice. Uh, For me, the definition of that, a thriving practice, is one that provides personal, professional, and financial satisfaction. Uh, We work with dentists throughout uh, throughout North America uh, to help you develop a thriving practice. Uh, And we do that via uh, coaching um, and uh, installing systems. I'm a big fan of uh, systems-based practice. Uh, and then also training your team members to operate those systems uh, efficiently. And Naren, as you mentioned, uh, I also own a dental practice here in Phoenix, Arizona. It's called Life Smiles Dental Care. I bought that practice in uh, uh, May of 2007 in partnership with a young doctor, Dr. Paul Nielsen. He was a uh, 2005 graduate of the University of Washington School of Dentistry. And we bought a dilapidated backwards fixer-upper practice in May of 07. And over the last 10 and a half years, we've been evolving that practice to be our ideal practice. Today, we have two doctors, Dr. Paul Nielsen, Dr. Tim Schmidt. Uh, We have a brilliant team of of 15 amazing team members, uh, a strong hygiene department, we have 15 days of hygiene a week. Uh, we have three hygienists that work uh, each work uh, uh, four days a week. And then we have a, a, a fourth hygienist that works three days a week, making a combination of uh, f- uh, 15 hygiene days. We're open Monday through Friday. Uh, basically, our hours are 7 through to 4, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Thursday and 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Friday. Uh, and I use that practice as a, it's a real practice, of course, but we use it as a learning and teaching laboratory where we get to test concepts and apply those concepts uh, when I'm lecturing, when I'm speaking. I speak about uh, 
about 50 to 60 times a year. I get about 125 uh, speaking invitations a year, and I'll accept about 50 to 60 of those. Uh, we're pretty much every Friday and many Wednesdays, I'm speaking somewhere uh, around the world uh, on a topic related to the business side of, of dentistry. And uh, anyway, that's the Reader's Digest condensed version of my background. And uh, I started the podcast, The Thriving Dentist Show, uh, in January of 2012. Uh, we are now starting our seventh year of broadcasting. And uh, we uh, just yesterday published our 308th episode. Uh, so uh, uh, if, if you like uh, the, the Growing Dentist podcast show, you'll certainly like The Thriving Dentist Show as well. And I'd invite you to... Uh, uh, to subscribe and listen in. And I'm inviting our listeners to subscribe and listen to your podcast, Aaron. You're doing some amazing work. Thank you. And um, I, I have listened to several of your episodes and it's amazing because uh, one of the things I think we both have in common is, um, you know, of course you have done this a lot longer than I have, is we like to, you know, um, we believe in abundance. We like to, you know, give more than we receive. So uh, you give, you know, without any fear, just keep giving your knowledge, your wisdom, your experience. And uh, I think that is something that I really look up to in you. It's just that uh, you don't hold anything back. You know, you just give all the secrets <laughs> in your <laughs> podcast, even, even in our interview last time, you know, you're giving so much wisdom. So, you know, there's, you for two, being that, there's, you know, person. there's two other qualities that we share in common Mary. We've never talked about this. Do you mind if I share my perspective on the two other qualities that we have in common? Absolutely. You and I are both deeply committed to entrepreneurship in dentistry. In other words, we want to help uh, maintain an entrepreneurial spirit among dentists to let them know that they can uh, develop a practice that they own. And uh, uh, you and I are committed to entrepreneurship. And then there's another element that we have in common as well. And that is we are absolutely committed to helping dentists develop thriving private practices. And, and the reason why I bring that up is that uh, as I speak, you know, I get a chance to speak 50 or 60 times a year. I'm saddened sometimes by the perspective I see from young doctors out there. There's some young doctors that feel like, you know, the era of owning your own practice is over. That uh, the only options available today are to go down the corporate path or, you know, to go down the large group practice, you know, kind of path. And while those do represent great opportunities, you know, for dentists. I still believe that private practice is a very viable pathway provided dentists are willing to do the right things. So I think you and I share a commitment to entrepreneurism in dentistry. And I think we also share a commitment to helping dentists realize that uh, the era of private practice is alive and well. Absolutely. And I think we both believe that this is perhaps the best time to be alive because there's so much we can do with the help of technology and with the help of so many other things that we couldn't do 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I mean, even the fact that you and I are talking is, is because of this new medium called podcasting, which didn't even exist, you know, even 10 years ago, right? So it's just amazing. And imagine what might, you know, I know you and I like to look in the crystal ball and look in the future. I get excited about thinking what what might be coming down the road that we don't even know about yet. You know, imagine yeah. that. And I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, there's some, uh, it's interesting how different eras are given labels. For example, um, the golden age of dentistry. You know, the golden age of dentistry, if you talk to dental historians, they talk about uh, the 1970s. And by the way, 
the, the title golden era of dentistry wasn't a reference to the material of choice of gold. Uh, but in fact, it was just meant to identify that the 1970s were a very good time to be a dentist. And I happen to, to think that there's, there's no better time than now. And if we want to put a label on it, why don't we call it the platinum age of dentistry? You know, platinum is even more valuable than gold, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I, I totally agree with you on that because I think, you know, uh, there's so much we can do. I know one of the tips you shared with us last time is just pictures and how pictures can be used to help patients buy dentistry as opposed to you having to sell dentistry because they now can see things they couldn't see before about what's happening inside their mouth. Right, right. You know, I, when I'm speaking, uh, I, I always like to engage the audience. And uh, when I'm talking about photos for patient education, by the way, I'm talking about digital photos for patient education, I will typically ask the audience to participate with me. And I'll say something like this. I'll say, I'm going to start a phrase. And so, Naren, can I? you and I haven't talked about this, but may I start a phrase? And will you complete it for me? Absolutely. And we're doing this completely extemporaneous. We didn't talk about it ahead of time. But I suspect that uh, you will do very well with this. So uh, may I go ahead and start that phrase? Yes. A picture is worth, and you a go thousand, ahead and complete that. A thousand words. <laughs> a thousand words, right? Yeah. And that's what the whole concept of these photos. You know, you can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And some people uh, may understand what you're speaking about. Or you can show them a picture. And the picture instantly conveys more information visually than you could ever talk about verbally. Uh, so a picture is worth a, a thousand words. So last, uh, the, our last interview, I introduced six goals for a thriving practice. Uh, and we talked about three of those in depth. May I go ahead and recap those six goals? And then we'll, we'll expand on the other three that we didn't have a chance to cover on the first interview? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll be awesome. And I'll number these from one to six. They're not numbered in importance. In fact, I think they're equally important. But uh, number one, practice overhead no higher than 60%, ideally 50%. And by the way, practice overhead is all of the expenses necessary to run your practice with the exception of owner dentist compensation. So I want overhead no higher than 60%, ideally 50%. Number two, the ability to create financial independence from your practice. So the ability to create some kind of a pension plan or savings plan uh, so that you can create financial independence so you can retire with the dignity that you deserve. Number three, I want you to have all of the technology, a state-of-the-art office, all of the technology, a high-paid team, a generous CE budget, and still control your overhead no higher than 60%, ideally 50%. It just got a lot harder, Naren, didn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and it, it, it did get harder, but I, I still, each one of these is achievable. Each one of these is possible. Uh, number four, a high performance team that you truly love and enjoy working with. And by the way, I, I crafted that statement. I said the word love. I didn't say tolerate. I didn't say put up with. I didn't say, oh, you should have seen the last one. She's better than her. <laughs> a high performance team you truly love and enjoy working with. Number five, patients you enjoy taking care of. Now, you don't have to love your patients, but I hope you enjoy taking care of them. I hope you don't have patients in your practice that cause you to lose heart muscle and stomach lining. Uh, and number six, treatment mix that gives you satisfaction. Treatment mix that gives you satisfaction. I believe that has to be self-defined, Naren, because uh, 
uh, a certain clinical area that, that one dentist loves, another dentist may not like. For example, endo, uh, endodontic treatment. Uh, some dentists absolutely love the challenges of endo and other dentists find it tedious. Uh, cosmetic dentistry, that's one, another example. Uh, some dentists absolutely love, uh, you know, the challenges of a four-hour, you know, cosmetic uh, uh, procedure where they're providing maybe a 10-unit upper anterior porcelain veneer case. And uh, another dentist may not enjoy uh, that level of uh, focus. So I think it has to be self-defined. Uh, last time we talked about the first three, what I would like to do is go ahead and continue our discussion with those last three high performance team you truly love and enjoy working with. Uh, number five, uh, patients you enjoy taking care of and a treatment mix that gives you satisfaction. Absolutely. I think that would be an awesome uh, area to cover today because I got so much out of it. And, uh, and I really loved our conversation about the first three points you're talking about. Uh, the main thing I got out of um, the first point, which is, you know, keeping your overhead, 50, you know, 60%, but ideally 50% is that um, you run a very profitable practice and it can be done. You don't have to, you know, nickel and dime things, but you can still run a very profitable practice and manage your overhead if you think about it the right way. In fact, uh, I can confidently say if, and I believe that if, if the listeners review those six uh, goals, uh, I think all your listeners would say if they achieve those goals, they would certainly have a thriving practice and a very enjoyable practice. But it's interesting because uh, when I'm speaking, I'll often get a question from the audience and the question will be, you know, Gary, are, I'm so far away from those goals. Are those goals even possible, even possible? And I can confidently say, yes, yes. And the reason I can say that is because over time, we have been able to achieve each and every one of those goals in my own practice. And Aaron, you may have heard this saying, uh, and if not, I'd like to introduce it to your listeners. If it's been done before, it must be possible. Right. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. My, my favorite example of that saying, I, I happen to uh, be a runner. I enjoy a long distance running. And uh, uh, if any of your listeners are uh, interested in fitness and running, they probably heard of Roger Bannister. Roger Bannister was the very first runner to ever break the four-minute mile, the four-minute mile. He did that in 1954. Prior to 1954, experts in physiology and uh, uh, experts in, in running uh, said that the four-minute mile was not possible. In other words, the body simply couldn't maintain uh, the oxygen level uh, to run uh, under a four-minute mile. Uh, well, uh, in 1954, Roger Bannister ran under four minutes for the first time in world history. And would it be, would it be a surprise to you, Naren, to learn that within three months, a number of other athletes also ran under four minutes because it had been proven that it was possible. Today, you know, here we are, uh, you know, 60 years plus later, uh, and, uh, uh, world-class high school athletes run under four minutes. Now, let's understand that 60 years is a long time, but it's not a long time in the, ele the, in the evolution of humanity. You know, six, 60 years is a, a, you know, microscopic time period, you know, the evolution of humanity. Right. And uh, in fact, uh, you know, look at the world record uh, today for, for under a mile. 
And, uh, you know, it's amazing to see, you know, just how much progress has been made in the last 60 minutes and it's all be, or last 60 years. And it's all because it's been proven that it is possible. So to bring this back to our discussion, over the last 10 years, we have been able to achieve each and every one of those goals in my practice, in, in thriving, uh, in, in, in my Lifestyles Dental Care practice. And we've also been able to introduce those to clients all over the, the all over North America, being able to achieve those. So if you're wondering, are those even possible? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> I can confidently say yes, because we've been able to do it. Here's how we've done that. Exactly. And I strongly recommend people to go back and listen to that podcast in full, because you shared so many interesting tips, uh, Gary, about how to do that. And uh, one of the things that also stood out to me is um, this mindset of, uh, you know, thinking about creating financial independence right from the start. And uh, to me, that was a very powerful concept because I talk to a lot of dentists sometimes in their 50s and they're still kind of, you know, struggling. They have loans and all these payments and so forth. And I think part of the, if, if, if I had the luxury of talking to them 25 years ago, one of the things I would have taught them is what you shared with me, you know, start with that mindset right from day one, you know, it doesn't matter where you are today, but immediately start thinking about how can my practice help me create financial independence. And I love the way you defined it, which is you don't have to work at that point. You choose to work because you love it, but you don't have to. That's which now allows you to, you know, uh, do the things you love and, you know, be very selective about where you spend your time and who do you work with and what you do. That's the key point with that financial independence is uh, the ability to go to work because you want to, not because you have to. And uh, any dentist can achieve that regardless of where you're starting from. Uh, any dentist can achieve that with discipline and uh, with the proper guidance. Uh, any dentist can achieve that in a relatively short period of time. And I, let me define that uh, Depending on where you're starting from, uh, uh, that's a 12 to 15 year journey, 12 to 15 year journey. It could be done quicker, uh, but generally it takes about 12 to 15 years. So if you're a young dentist listening to that, I hope that's a hopeful message uh, that uh, you can achieve financial independence and go to work because you want to, not because you have to. And the cool thing about that is you don't have to wait till you get to the finish line to enjoy the benefits. Uh, oftentimes, just knowing that you're on pace to be able to achieve financial independence gives you the peace of mind to know that if you just stay on track, uh, you will absolutely get there. And I hope that's an encouraging message. Yeah. And I also like the fact that you walk your talk, you know, like a lot of other consultants would say, oh, give me 50,000 bucks before I can help you. You don't believe in that. You, you believe in a model where, you know, clients continue to get value. If not, they can walk away, which is amazing. Yeah, we use, uh, I've done this uh, since I started my consulting firm in, in 1989. Uh, we, uh, we call it a pay as long as you're happy plan. Uh, I use a, uh, a simple one page letter of agreement with a 30 day escape clause. So at any point, we don't have a long term contract at any point, uh, uh, either party can uh, say, hey, uh, I think we've gotten where we want to go and we can part ways uh, contractually. Uh, I like to tell my clients that we want to provide so much value to you that you wouldn't want to practice without us, but we want to make sure we earn that every month. And uh, very, very privileged. Uh, when I started uh, my coaching firm in 1989, my very first client was a young dentist uh, from uh, Santa Barbara, California, and he's still a client of mine today. Uh, almost 30 years later, let's just say he's, he's not so young today. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, still practicing and absolutely uh, loving dentistry. And it's been a privilege for me to work with him over these last 30 years. And uh, uh, that's, uh, that's something I count as a blessing in our client base for sure. Thank you, Gary. And uh, let's talk now about the three points we, we did not cover last time, right? Uh, yes. The fourth point is high performance teams you love and enjoy working with. So I want you to kind of pass that statement and tell me more about what you mean by you this. Uh, let, let's unpack that one. And again, high performance team you truly love and enjoy working with. Now, I said earlier that I thought that these goals were equally weighted. In other words, uh, each one you know, was, was similarly important you know, to the other ones. However, if I had to pick one that was most important, I would pick this one. High-performance team you truly love and enjoy working with. And the reason why I would pick this one as the most important, because I believe that if you don't have this one, you don't get the other five. If you do not have a high-performance team, you don't get the other five. Uh, now, if it was possible to have to, to get there, uh, with a, and let's say, you know, you're working with people you don't enjoy because there was a second part to that statement. It's a high-performance team you truly love. Let's say it was possible to achieve everything else, but you didn't really love working with your team members, then I would say that's a hollow victory. <laughs> I want to be surrounded by people I absolutely love. So I, if, I had, if I had to choose one as most important, I would choose this one because it's really the vehicle through which you achieve the other five. And oftentimes, now I've had the privilege of coaching over 20, I've actually physically visited over 2,200 practices, uh, including uh, practices in six provinces in, in Canada as well. And uh, uh, I've had the privilege of working with a lot of practices. And I will tell you that oftentimes the difference between a good practice and a world-class practice is the presence of a team, the presence of a team and uh, a high-performance team. And that doesn't happen uh, accidentally. You know, some doctors, well, I have a team. You know, if, if, we, if we use head count as the description of a team, yes, you have a team. But the, but the, the question is, is it a high-performance team where you're all working together? Let me give you a definition of a team. May I go ahead and do that, Nair? Absolutely. It's when the doctor or doctors, if you have multiple doctors, and your team members are all moving together in concert towards commonly defined goals and objectives. It's when doctor or doctors and team members are all moving together in concert towards commonly defined goals and objectives. And I think if you test that definition against your team, uh, you'll be able to answer clearly whether you have that or not. Um, and if not, I would like to suggest, may I go ahead and provide some tips that'll help you get on track to developing a high-performance team? Yes, yes, Gary, absolutely. And uh, one is I'm going to suggest that every practice should have three forms of team meetings, three forms of team meetings. Uh, one, and, and let me go through and, and, and define each one of those team meetings because each one has a little bit different function. Uh, number one, uh, every practice should be doing some sort of a morning huddle. Um, a morning huddle is a very important element of a thriving practice. Uh, it's a five to seven minute meeting before you start your day to simply do a run through of your day and troubleshoot where the bottlenecks are going to be in your schedule. 
It's a five to seven minute meeting. And if you haven't been doing a morning huddle, you may not be able to do it initially in five to seven minutes, but you want to get to the point where you can, can uh, effectively do that morning huddle in five to seven uh, minutes. Uh, in fact, uh, Naren, I have a uh, checklist to put together of how we run our uh, morning huddle meeting. Uh, I'd like to provide that to your listeners as a gift. I have a checklist along with the definition for each item on the checklist. Uh, Naren, if I provide that to you um, in a PDF format, into a document format, uh, would uh, you be able to provide that to your listeners? Absolutely. So give us the PDF. And what we'll do is, along with the podcast, we will include that as a resource. So anybody who's interested could just download it and benefit from it just right away. Perfect. I'll provide that to you. And this is the exact checklist we use with in my own practice. And we use with our clients uh, around North America. Uh, so I'll share that with you. And if you haven't done a morning huddle, this will literally be a blueprint for you to follow. So number one, morning huddle. And what that does, by the way, is it helps you. I really believe that we either huddle and plan our day or we muddle through it. And clearly the choice would be to huddle and plan the day and identify where there's bottlenecks, identify where we need to come together as a team and make it work so that we deliver the highest level of clinical and behavioral care to our patients. Uh, so I think that uh, checklist is going to help you a great deal. Uh, the second meeting uh, that we have is what we would call our, our, our normal staff meeting. By the way, I don't use the word staff. I like to say that staff is an infection. Well, I guess you spell that differently. <laughs> but uh, I like to use the word team it's instead of uh, the word staff. I think the words we use are important. And I think uh, team means something different than staff. Uh, anyway, uh, our team meeting. Uh, the way we do our team meeting at Life Smiles, we used to do an hour meeting once a week uh, during a lunch, one of our, our days at lunch, we used to do a lunch meeting. And what we found is they didn't work very well for us. Uh, we typically ran over in the morning and, and uh, you know, we're finishing up with patients into our lunch hour. And then we started early in the afternoon and it crunched our lunch meeting to a point where we didn't have enough time to do anything uh, uh, effectively. So we switched it to a, week, a meeting that's every other week. It's a two-hour long meeting every other week. And we start first thing in the morning. So that way we know we're going to start on time. And uh, so we'll start first thing in the morning and, and run that meeting for two hours. We found that if we have two hours every two weeks, it allows us to go into a deeper dive when it comes to some of the things that we want to talk about in our team meetings. Uh, we like to do some in-service training. We like to introduce systems. Uh, we like to uh, uh, audit our systems and see how we're doing. And we find it we found we, we need a little bit more time to do that. And we found what works better for us is a two-hour meeting every two weeks instead of a one-hour meeting every week. The third form of meetings that I think are very important to have, we do these twice a year, biannual meetings. And these are uh, half-day meetings. So typically, they're from 8 to noon, 8 a.m. Uh, to 12 noon. I like to do one near the beginning of the year. Uh, to kind of set the goal and set the pace for the coming year. And then I like to do another form of that meeting mid-year, sometime in June or July, maybe even early August, where we check how we're doing against the goals that we set in our beginning of the year meeting. And what we do is we do a half-day meeting, 8 to noon. We usually go off campus to do that meeting. 
And the reason I like to go off campus somewhere, it doesn't, it can be somewhere local. It doesn't have to be anywhere exotic. It could be a private room in a restaurant. It could be a, a meeting room at a, 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 one of those boardrooms at a, at a local hotel. Uh, perhaps uh, we have a country club membership that has a meeting room. Um, local public libraries uh, often have meeting rooms that can be reserved. And I like to go off campus so that we don't get distracted by the day-to-day -day distractions that happen when we are in our space. You know, typically if you're in your own office, you'll have deliveries, you'll get emergency calls, uh, all kinds of things will happen to distract you from the important function of that meeting. So that meeting is from eight to noon, uh, uh, twice a year. And then we plan an afternoon activity together with the team, something fun. Uh, we put a, a two or three team members in charge. Uh, we rotate who plans those. And we ask them to come up with something. We give them a budget and they come up with something we're all going to do together as a team. We're going to play together. Uh, some examples might be we might go bowling. Uh, we might go miniature golfing. We've gone uh, mountain biking. Uh, I went uh, one time with one of our clients and we went to a private cooking class. This is a cooking class that was put on uh, just for us by a brilliant chef. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, we went uh, uh, wakeboarding uh, on, on the local, uh, local lake. Uh, there's a lot of different things that you could do to play together as a team. And what this allows us to do is develop rapport and relationship with our team members outside of our normal working environment. You really get to know your team members on a, on a deeper level. Uh, everyone's on the clock. It's actually something we, they're paid to, to do that activity. Uh, team members really appreciate the opportunity to do something together. Uh, we often get to stretch their comfort zones and do things they maybe wouldn't experience on their own. Uh, we get to all interact together as a team and we make it a team activity. So that's one of the things that you can do uh, to uh, develop uh, a high performance team. Uh, conduct those three meetings, morning huddle, uh, the, the uh, every other week team meeting and the biannual planning meetings that would be half days in length of actual meeting and then a half day together where you, where you play together and you really get to experience your team members uh, in an environment outside of your normal work environment. How does that sound to you, Aaron? That sounds awesome. I do have a couple of follow-up questions. Please. I understand the morning huddle, right? You want to not muddle through your day. So it gives you clarity on what you need to do and what are some of the pitfalls that you can proactively avoid. So what's the purpose of those, you know, every other week, two hour meetings versus the planning meeting? I kind of can guess, but I don't want to guess. I'm sure, sure. you've spent 30 years figuring this out. So I want your thoughts on it. Well, one of the reasons that I like to hold those meetings is that uh, when I go into, and my team members go into practices as a coach, and we start kind of unpacking what's going on in the practice. One of the things that I often hear from team members is they feel like communication could be enhanced in the practice. In other words, doctor to team member communication can be enhanced. And oftentimes, uh, there simply isn't a regular forum where we can communicate together. Something as simple as the schedule that, you know, uh, for example, we're now just completing the holiday season. And uh, it's important for the team members to understand what our holiday work hours are going to be. What days are we taking off? Um, are we working any extra days to make up those? And so one of the functions of that team meeting is to create um, a open forum of communication between the team members and the doctor. Uh, and that, you know, having a forum where we can communicate on a regular basis really allows everyone to stay on the same page. One of the things that we do is we post an agenda 
uh, up in our uh, uh, in in our uh, staff um, lab area. It's kind of private; patients can't see that. And we ask our team members to put agenda items that they'd like to talk about on our next team meeting. Uh, and that's an open for any team member can can post agenda items. Uh, sometimes it might take us two or three uh, meetings to get to all of those items, but we now have an open forum. It could it could relate to a particular uh, supply, uh, maybe a, uh, a dental supply that we'd like to order. Uh, it could relate to something that someone has an idea they want to initiate in their practice. Um, it could relate to the schedule, but any anybody can post an agenda item. Another thing we do in those regular team meetings is that we do in-service training uh, where, you know, for example, uh, we recently introduced sleep, uh, treating sleep apnea in our practice. And our doctors, uh, Paul and Tim, have gone through some extensive training on, on sleep apnea. Well, we use the team meetings as a way to bring the team up to speed on the way we'll be treating sleep apnea in our practice so that our assistants and our front desk team members were informed about what we're doing relative to sleep apnea. Uh, so in-service training is another function of that uh, team meeting. And, you know, that, that's not the kind of thing you can introduce into a morning huddle because that morning huddle is only five to seven minute, minutes long and it just deals with what's the patients that we're taking care of today. So we need another forum where we can have those longer sessions uh, and have some in-service training and cover topics uh, on a a longer uh, timeline basis that we simply couldn't cover in a morning huddle. Does that help? That makes total sense. And what about the planning meeting? What do you typically cover in that twice a year meeting? We always set goals. Uh, and so we start with a goal setting exercise. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I've learned about working with, with uh, dental team members is if they can be involved in the goal setting process, they often have a greater buy-in or a greater commitment to those goals because they are part of establishing those goals. So we start with goals. Uh, and the goals may, uh, sometimes they're very specific financial or numbers related. And sometimes they're more abstract. Like it could be a goal to reduce the stress in the practice. That's a little bit more abstract. That's not as easy to define as say a production or collection goal but it's equally as important. And so the first thing we do is we set goals. And then we actually talk about the very specific initiatives that we're going to use to achieve those goals. In other words, what, now that we know what the goal is, what are we going to do to achieve those goals? What are the action items that we're going to do? And every time we have a meeting, and this applies to uh, the uh, every other week team meeting and the biannual planning meetings, uh, we try to create accountability to any of the action items. And accountability is, it really involves uh, three W's. Who is going to be accountable for that particular action item? So, well, let me back up. What was the action item? What was, so the first W is what. What was the action? Does everyone understand clearly what we're going to do? Number two, the second W is who is going to be responsible for it? And number three is by when? By when are we going to have that done? So, for example, uh, in the first podcast interview, we talked about the idea of incorporating digital photos for patient education. And so now, if, if you're listening to this and you want to take that to an action step, the what we're going to do is we're going to initiate the series, and, and this is the Frank Spear, six digital photos for patient education. The what is we're going to take those six photos on all of our new patients. Who 
decide in your practice who is going to be responsible for that action item and by when. Uh, so it might be, for example, you might decide that we need to have uh, a lunch meeting and uh, a regular meeting where we can uh, practice taking those photos so we can take those photos competently. So you might say that uh, 30 days from now, we're going to start to implement that in our practice. If you apply the what, who, and the when, you will create accountability in your meetings so that your meetings don't become just this wonderful session where we talk about things, but nothing ends, ends up getting done. Uh, it's really this accountability that puts legs under the topics that you talk about in your meetings. That makes total sense. So the key is the accountability. Accountability. And we do that the same way with our planning meetings as well. So again, we'll, we'll start by setting goals. Uh, we'll then break them down and say, okay, what are the initiatives that we need to do to achieve those goals? Uh, and then we break that down in the accountability of what are we going to do uh, who's going to be accountable for it. And let me emphasize on the who, that person doesn't necessarily have to be the one that is going to do everything, but that person needs to be the, the quarterback or the person that um, puts the pieces together so that the action item becomes, we take it all the way to completion. So it doesn't have to be the one that does everything, but he or she has to be the one that follows through to make sure all the loose ends are tied together. And then by when, always, always put a date line to it so that it isn't something that we're going to do someday, but we're going to have it done by a specific period of time. That makes sense. So we talked about the first four tips, or suggestions, or strategies to create a thriving practice. The fifth one is patients you enjoy taking care of. Correct. Yeah, you know, that one is so important. Uh, I'll share a story with you, uh, Naren, and with your listeners that I think you'll appreciate. Uh, uh, this was uh, a number of years ago, but uh, a client of mine who's now retired uh, actually uh, uh, shared with me that he used to print out a copy of the daily schedule. At the end of the day, his, his end of the day routine was uh, he would print out a copy of the daily schedule for the next day. So in other words, if this was Wednesday, by the time he left the office Wednesday night, uh, he printed a copy of the schedule for the next day, which was Thursday. And then he'd have dinner with his family. And after dinner, uh, he would uh, go to his library and he would take a look at the schedule on the next day so he could kind of get his mind around what his next day was going to look like. And he told me, Gary, I stopped doing that. I used to do this, but I stopped doing it. And he said, I stopped doing it because one, one of these days, you know, it was one of these days I was doing my routine. I looked at my schedule the next day and I saw her name on it. <laughs> and he said, Gary, I cannot tell you how much grief this patient caused me over the time in my practice. He said, I cannot tell you how much heart muscle and stomach lining I lost taking care of this woman. And you could literally see, we were face to face when he was telling me this, and I could literally feel like I could see his blood pressure rising. <laughs> now, I couldn't see that, but you could see the stress show up on his face just when he thought of this, this woman. And he said, Gary, he said, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I, I have his permission to tell the story. I won't use his name, but I have his permission to tell the story. But he said, Gary, I can't believe I did this. But the next day, knowing that she was coming in for an appointment, he said, I actually called in sick. <laughs> Now, think about that for a minute. Who, yeah. he, he owned the practice. Who was he calling in sick to? Right. Himself. Right. <laughs> and we laughed about it when he told me the story. But uh, anyway, I, 
I'm sure every one of your listeners could probably fill in a blank on who that person is in your practice or people are in your practice, right? Right. And I have to say that um, while I truly believe in compassion, uh, I, and I, I, I believe in, in the whole spirit of compassion, uh, I, I don't think you should treat anyone in your practice that causes you to lose heart muscle and stomach lining. Uh, so doctors, if you have those patients in your practice, um, you know, let's, let's find them care somewhere else. Uh, this is, I'm not going to get into the legality of dismissing a patient. That's, that's probably a whole nother uh, podcast episode unto itself. Uh, there are legal issues around that. So, so be careful about the legal issues around that, but let me give you a tip. If anyone comes into your practice and you just have a feeling in, in the pit of your stomach, that something isn't quite right and that that patient's going to cause you uh, some pain and aggravation, then you can simply say to the patient, um, Mr. Smith, you've come to me for my care, skill, and judgment. And my judgment is you need to be under the care of another dentist. Uh, you can find them uh, online. You can simply type in the word uh, dentist in your town online and you can find a dentist or uh, the local dental society can help you find one. And, if you never start providing treatment to that patient, you have no obligation to provide care to that patient. Uh, so I, I just want you to understand you don't have to treat every patient that walks in your door. Uh, I think that's a recipe for uh, losing heart muscle and stomach lining. Uh, now, as, as I talk about that, one of the things that I want to say is that uh, when patients are challenging sometimes in your practice, a good way to frame that is you may not know what burdens they are carrying. You may not know the challenges they have in their life, you know, outside of, of your practice. Uh, perhaps they've had some uh, health tragedy. Perhaps their mother passed away yesterday. Uh, perhaps uh, they're, they're experiencing a health tragedy. Perhaps they're experiencing some kind of hardship in their life that you don't know the full story. Uh, however, uh, sometimes people are just uh, surly and they're just difficult and, uh, uh, it's not worth it to lose heart muscle and stomach lining taking care of those people. That's the point that I want to make with number five. Uh, take care of patients that you enjoy taking care of. It'll, it'll add value to your life. Can you give us some tips on, like, because your friend, you know, even though he owned the practice, he felt the only solution is for him to call in sick. So can you give us some tips on how, you know, practices that currently have these kinds of patients can slowly change the mix. So like you said, every patient in the practice is someone they enjoy taking care of. If, if you're already, uh, if treatment is already proceeding with patients, you have a legal obligation to complete that. And, and that's, uh, uh, you know, consult with a legal advisor to make sure you understand all the rules uh, related to that. But if you have started treatment, you have a, a moral and a legal obligation to complete that treatment. So really the key here is as new people come into your practice, uh, develop a good screening sense to determine whether you want to take care of them or not. And also, let me share a tip with you on that. Invite your team members, invite your team members to also use their uh, gut level feeling about whether this patient is going to be, uh, uh, you know, going to be a positive element of your patient community or not. Uh, sometimes the signals are there and you miss them. You know, uh, recently I was in a, a, a client office and uh, a new patient came in and the new patient uh, was interested in cosmetic dentistry and he had had veneers done 
uh, by a previous dentist. And he was simply complaining about everything that was wrong with his veneers. And, and he furthermore was being very disparaging towards his previous dentist. Now, interestingly enough, the dentist missed those signals, even though they're very obvious to me from the outside. The dentist was simply focusing clinically and he was looking at the case and he was thinking, well, I do see where that wasn't quite right and I know how to do this. It was almost as if the doctor put on his Superman cape and said, I can do that. I can solve the problems that you're complaining about. He missed the way the patient was communicating so negatively about his previous dentist. And Darren, let me ask you, if this patient is complaining negatively about his previous dentist, do you think that might be a pattern that could be repeated? Absolutely. Now, interestingly enough, even before I could raise it, I, I happened to be there observing that day, and my antenna were perked up and, and literally everything to me was blaring red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag, <laughs> right? Yeah. Even before I could address it, one of his dental assistants called him into the private office and, and, I, and, and uh, I was overhearing this um, <coughs> and she called him into his private office and this is a young dental assistant. I have to recognize the courage that she did uh, to do this. And she said, Doctor, I just wanted to, to share with you that I don't have a good feeling about this patient. I don't know what it is, but I don't have a good feeling. I, I think that if he's, if he's going to be so willing to complain so negatively about his previous dentist, he's maybe someone that we could never make happy. Right. And interestingly enough, and this is good leadership on the part of the doctor, the doctor said, wow, I missed that. I was looking clinically. I was looking just at, at the issues that could be corrected. And this was a dentist that was very, very highly trained, had done many, 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 many veneer cases, uses a great lab, and he felt like he could address the clinical issues that uh, he saw, you know, in the case. He said, I missed this other part. And anyway, uh, he also asked for my advice as well. And I jumped in and, and shared with him that I, I see nothing but red flags here. And it was really the feedback that he got from his dental assistant and uh, the feedback that he got from me that he politely said to the patient that, uh, you know, I think you might be under, uh, it'd be my professional judgment that you'd be under the care of another dentist. Uh, type in cosmetic dentist on Google and, and perhaps you can find one. And uh, I think he saved a lot of pain and aggravation on that case. I did have to be very, I did want to be very complimentary to this young dental assistant uh, for uh, being courageous enough to have that conversation with the doctor. Right. Does that That's make amazing. sense? Absolutely. But what happens if you make a mistake and it's halfway through? I know if you're doing, if, you're, if the treatment is ongoing, you cannot, you know, end it. But Well, uh, another example, uh, fortunately, in, in over 2,200 uh, uh, practice visits where I've visited practices, I've got to see a lot in, in my experience. And I'll share another story with you that maybe will save some pain and aggravation for your listeners. This was another cosmetic case where uh, the doctor went to seat the veneers and uh, he seated the veneers and immediately the patient complained about the shade, didn't like the shade. This is a different practice, but immediately the patient complained about the shade uh, and doctor had to cut those veneers off and had to redo them. By then he's upside down in the case financially. 
had to redo them. Well, one of the things that he did the next time through is he created a very simple uh, form that the patient signed indicating that they have uh, looked at the veneers and they approve of everything before they're seated. So that way he had something in writing saying the patient approved of them. Uh, and sure enough, when he went ahead and, and, and did that the second time, he presented the veneers, you know, uh, showed the patient the veneers uh, so they could look at them. They could look at the shade. They could look at the shape. They could uh, agree that they were exactly what they wanted. And, and then they signed an authorization form indicating that they approved of the, uh, of the veneers so they could be seated. So that's another way that you can sort of have some documentation that what you're providing is meeting their expectations. Uh, but that was, a, so if you get started on a case, uh, the reality is uh, you are going to have to complete that case regardless of, um, you know, the, the patient's uh, behavior. You're going to have to complete that case. So the best advice I can give you in there is to never get started on those cases in, in the, to begin with if you feel like there might be a patient that has unrealistic expectations. Makes a ton of sense. Let's talk about your last point, which is um, treatment mix that gives you um, satisfaction. Satisfaction, you bet. That is so important because... There, there's nothing that I think will lead you more to an enjoyable practice if you're doing the kind of treatment that you enjoy. Uh, uh, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. David Hornbrook, uh, most of your listeners recognize Dr. David Hornbrook. He's a brilliant uh, dentist from San Diego. I've had the privilege of teaching with him for many years. Uh, he's considered by many to be one of the greatest cosmetic dentists in the world. And David doesn't like endo. endo you, know, you know how Dr. Hornbrook describes endodontic therapy? No, I don't. He says to me, to David, he said, it feels to me like picking locks in the dark. Isn't that a wonderful way to describe that? Yeah, picking locks in the dark. <laughs> picking locks in the dark. It's like having my eyes closed and I'm a locksmith and I'm picking a lock in the dark. Uh, and he said, that's how I feel because I can't see anything. And, and David's a cosmetic dentist. He likes to see things. And right. so... Uh, endo just isn't his thing. Um, but, you know, conversely, the idea of a four-hour uh, appointment to provide a 10-unit upper anterior veneer case may cause someone to break out in cold sweats. So you really have to define. Uh, there's five different treatment areas in our practice in LifeSmiles that sort of represent what I would call the icing on the cake. We're a general dental practice. Uh, and, you know, general dentistry is our brand, you know, is our, is our foundation in our practice. But there's five treatment areas that sort of represent the icing on the cake. And these five areas were defined by Paul and Tim as treatment areas that they're interested in and they like providing. May I go ahead and share with your listeners the five areas for us? Yes. Uh, and they may, be, they may be different for you or they may be similar for you, but the five areas for us that are sort of the icing on the cake are these. And I'll number them again, one through five to make sure I cover them all. Um, one uh, would be dental implants. We place and restore implants. Both Paul and Tim have had extensive experience uh, and training in, in placing and restoring implants. So uh, number one would be placing and, and restoring dental implants. Number two would be adult orthodontics. Adult, we don't do uh, uh, child or adolescent orthodontics. We do uh, limited adult orthodontics. We do both um, 
a, uh, a liner system, and we also do short-term adult orthodontics. Uh, if you don't mind me saying, we, we actually do Invisalign as our, short, as our aligner system, and we do six-month smiles as our short-term adult uh, orthodontics. Uh, and again, we do not treat children. We don't treat adults. Uh, we have a brilliant orthodontist that we refer to uh, to provide that treatment for our uh, patients that have kids or adolescents that need orthodontic uh, treatment. Number three is cosmetic dentistry. Now, cosmetic dentistry can be a lot of different things, but primarily for us, uh, it's veneers uh, providing uh, uh, typically an upper anterior. It's typically an eight or 10 unit upper anterior porcelain veneer case. Uh, so cosmetic dentistry is the third area. The fourth area is complex restorative dentistry. Uh, both Paul and Tim have extensive training uh, to be able to provide uh, a, a complex restorative treatment. These are typically 20 plus units, often 28 units, where we completely restore the mouth using uh, complex restorative dentistry uh, uh, procedures. And the fifth one is uh, treating sleep apnea. Uh, and we do that through appliance therapy, treating sleep apnea. So those are the five areas that uh, Paul and Tim enjoy. Those are areas that they wanted to spend more time doing continued education uh, and are continuing to advance their skills in those areas. And those five areas are added to our general dental mix to help us achieve the goals that we establish in our practice. One of the reasons I like those five areas, Naren, is that though each one of those five areas could truly be life-changing dentistry, life-changing dentistry. Let's start with the first one with implants. One of the common procedures that we provide is if the patient has a floppy lower denture, uh, you know, your listeners and you know, Naren, that oftentimes the lower denture doesn't work very well. And right. over time, uh, the patient continues to lose bone and that denture that used to be uh, good fitting becomes ill-fitting and it's flopping around. They, they don't have confidence. They can't chew well. They can't eat the foods that they like. Uh, if the patient has enough bone, uh, we can place four implants and we can do a screw retained hybrid denture. Technically, it could be removed by us. Uh, we could remove it, but it's fixed in the, in the mind of the patient, but we could remove it if we had to clean it or if we had to repair it, uh, but it's fixed in the mind of the patient. And that can literally be life-changing dentistry. They had that floppy lower denture. They couldn't eat what they wanted to eat. They didn't have the confidence to smile. Uh, and now they have this beautiful uh, hybrid uh, denture provided through dental implants that's fixed, that can be life-changing dentistry. Let's go to the fifth area, uh, treating sleep apnea. That could literally be life-saving dentistry, life-saving dentistry. It is not too dramatic to say that if you truly learn how to treat sleep apnea, you could end up saving someone's life. You could absolutely end up saving someone's life. And as I like to say, you know, as cool it is, as it is to save a tooth, and I think for us in dentistry, we're kind of nerdy about that. Isn't it fun to save a tooth? <laughs> you know, isn't that fun? You know, yeah. as cool as that is, imagine this, the, the feeling that you could experience by actually saving a life. Uh, you know, and I won't get into the technical aspects of sleep apnea, but uh, basically they've got, uh, you know, some, some breathing obstruction. And uh, you can now provide therapy that allows them to remove that breathing obstruction uh, so that uh, you could actually end up saving their life. Uh, so, but those five areas are treatment that truly is life-changing dentistry. And these are the kind of procedures where literally at the end of the procedure, the patient wants to give the dentist a hug. You know, oh my gosh, you've changed my life. Uh, and it really adds a level of fulfillment um, 
and satisfaction to your practice. Remember how I defined a thriving practice. It's a practice that provides personal, professional, and financial satisfaction. I can't imagine, you know, as a dentist, uh, any better feeling than, you know, when a patient looks in the mirror at their new smile and says, oh my gosh, you know, I, I can't believe how you've changed their life. And, and, you know, tears roll down their cheeks from that. Uh, and that doesn't often happen through the everyday, you know, regular den general dentistry that we do every day, but it can happen when we add those areas to the practice. So as a homework item for your listeners, I would encourage each and every one of you to think about the clinical areas that you would like to add to your practice. Uh, and perhaps it has to be done over time with a lot of advanced continued education. Think about the treatment areas that you'd like to add and in enhance what you're already doing in your practice. And that could be an excellent way for you to really fully develop your practice to full potential. That makes a ton of sense. But is it possible though, because there's a lot of dentists who are probably sitting and listening to you and say, well, it may not work for some, but it won't work for me. I have to do everything. And if I don't, then I'm going to lose out. I completely disagree with uh, some consultants today will say that in order to be successful, uh, you've got to be a, you know, a, a dentist that does absolutely everything that, that, that comes through your door. In order to be successful, you've got to do everything. I disagree with that. In fact, I really think that's a pathway to frustration and a pathway to not being satisfied. Now, there are some very unique individuals that can truly master every area of clinical dentistry. Those people do it. It's, it's kind of like a unicorn. <laughs> But there are those that, that truly could master just about every area of dentistry. If you happen to be one of those very, very, very rare individuals, then knock yourself out. But I don't think that's true for most dentists. I think most dentists find some areas that they like, some areas that they don't like. For example, oral surgery. Uh, I know some dentists that absolutely love doing oral surgery, and I know other dentists that don't enjoy it at all. So, just determine what it is that you like, do more of what you like, and develop a great referral system to refer to specialists uh, or colleagues to provide the things that you don't like. Uh, it's part of the abundance mentality uh, mindset as well. You don't have to do everything that walks in your door. Uh, find the things that you like, find the things that you can do well, find the things that you enjoy, and do more of those. Absolutely. I totally believe in what you're saying, and uh, I think... Uh, for the long term, that's probably the best way to go because, yeah, in the short term, you know, maybe trying to be everything to everybody might work, but in the long term, like you said, the frustration and the and the and 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 the lack of you know excellence would catch up with you, and it won't be a good thing for you or your brand or your patients. Right. May I share a, a simple tip, uh, kind of as we're we're coming into the closing section here? May I share a simple tip? that I think any of your listeners could apply next week that will absolutely go to helping them achieve all six of the goals that we defined earlier? Absolutely. That would be very helpful, Gary. So this tip is uh, I want you to uh, take some really good after photos of actual patients in your practice that you have provided uh, uh, some type of dentistry to after photos, not before and after, but after photos, after photos. Uh, and we, for example, in our office, um, in the reception area, we have beautiful uh, photography, artwork, photography, 
We bought it online. Uh, and these are uh, natural photography, nature photography of the Southwest. We're in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, the Southwest has some beautiful scenery, uh, Sedona, Arizona, the Grand Canyon, uh, Red Rock Country. We have some beautiful photos of Southwest scenery. They happen to be printed on metal, by the way. And so these photos really pop and they really make nice decorative artwork in our reception area. In the back office, the only photos we have in the back office are actual patients of ours that we have provided uh, dentistry for, actual patients. And we have both men and women. Uh, we have different ages, uh, you know, from teenagers to uh, senior citizens. And we have different nationalities uh, because our practice is a diverse practice. And we have after photos. And we have those, the way we do those, by the way, we do something kind of unique. Uh, we have a photographer in our practice and uh, she owns a photography studio. We contracted with her to take these photos because we wanted them to be really beautiful photos. And what she does is uh, a couple times a year, we go out to a resort uh, here in Scottsdale and we reserve a meeting room in the resort. We get permission from the resort to do this. And, our, and we have patients come from 10 in the morning till one in the afternoon. We have about 20 patients come throughout that uh, three hour time period. And we have one of our patients that owns a salon, a hair salon, and she does hair and makeup for the women. Uh, and then they go out and take photos. And the photographer takes the patient out into the setting, uh, the natural setting of the resort, and takes those photos, you know, out in nature. And they're really beautiful photos. And she uses the photographic method of focusing the subject in focus and then leaving the background kind of slightly out of focus. So when we print those photos and, and we, we hang those in our office, it immediately draws you to their smile because it's the, the face and the smile is in focus. And anyway, we do that twice a year. So we constantly have a supply of, uh, uh, of those photos to, to freshen the look of our, of our office. Uh, we, we do something kind of fun. Uh, we asked our patients to bring their spouse or bring their family and uh, we can take a family photo of them and we gift them a framed family photo as, as a gift for participating in our photo shoot. And we have those photos in the back office. And when Carly is taking our patient on a tour, we always take our, our new patients on a quick tour. It's a three to four minute tour where we uh, kind of show them some highlights of the practice. The last stop on the tour is at one of these photos. And she'll say something like this, Naren. She'll say, and imagine you were the patient. Um, Naren, although we're a general dental practice, our doctors also have advanced training in providing uh, things like dental implants, adult orthodontics, uh, beautiful smiles. And all of the photos that you see here in the back office are actual patients of ours that we've helped them have the smile of their dreams. Well, that's the tour. I'm glad you're here. And notice what we do with those two, those uh, photos. We suddenly let the patient know what's available in the practice without selling. Right. We just right. let them, I mean, how does the patient, I mean, the lay public, how does the lay patient, the lay public know you do implants? How do they know you do adult orthodontics? How do they know you do cosmetic dentistry? Unless you let them know, unless you let them know. And these photos can be a really cool way of saying, although we're a general dental practice, our doctors also have advanced training in, and then you fill in the blanks. All of the photos back here are actual patients of ours that we've helped have the smile of their dreams. So there's a homework, item, uh, homework item as well for your listeners to go back and uh, create some of these after photos uh, so that you can put those in your office so you let people subtly know what's available without selling. Right. 
No, that makes ton of sense. Like, uh, I think we, you and I talked about in the psychology of marketing uh, topic last time, um, you know, it's much easier to have your patients convince other patients how great you are versus you trying to convince them. And these before and after pictures or just the after pictures are a wonderful way to tell a powerful story, an emotional story with happy, smiling people and how amazing their you know, smile looks without you even saying that, oh, by the way, we are really good at what we do. We have one, you, you'll appreciate this, Naren, because uh, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the psychology of selling. Uh, in our consult room, uh, we have a, a beautiful consultation room. It's very uh, simply designed, uh, very clean, very elegant, very simple. And we have two photos up in the, and these photos are uh, two foot by three foot photos. They're, they're fairly large. We use the canvas wrap. Um, we have those uh, uh, printed on, on canvas. Uh, they're literally ready to hang up. And if, if I can describe one to you, th this one photo has sold more dentistry in our practice than you could possibly imagine. May I go ahead and describe that photo to you? Yes, please. Uh, he's a male. Uh, he's probably in his uh, mid-60s. Uh, he's a, a very handsome man, uh, silver-haired, and uh, he looks distinguished. Uh, and he's smiling. He's smiling this beautiful smile. Paul did a 20-unit uh, porcelain air case, 10 over 10. And he's smiling. Uh, he's dressed in a, a, a blue, uh, kind of a soft blue dress shirt. Uh, and it's basically kind of a head and shoulder shot. So can you imagine a, a handsome older man, you know, in his 60s, silver hair, uh, you know, perfectly uh, uh, coiffed hair, uh, wearing a, a blue dress shirt and smiling, uh, you know, with this uh, beautiful smile. So you can picture that image that I'm describing to you. Right. Now, here's what happens. It'll be a female patient, typically in her early 50s, maybe mid 50s, maybe even early 60s. And we're presenting some dentistry to her in the console room. She'll look up at that photo and she'll say something like this. She'll say to Carly, I need to get my husband in here. <laughs> And Carly will notice that she's looking at the photo. And uh, Carly will say, you know, Karen, we would love to see your husband. Uh, you know, that's, this is Bill. He's actually a patient of ours. And uh, that's an actual patient. And uh, Dr. Nielsen provided a beautiful 20-unit uh, porcelain veneer case uh, to give him the smile of, the, of, of, of his dreams. And we'd love to do the same thing for your husband. And I cannot tell you how many conversations like that we've had. And it was that photo that sparked the conversation. I need to get my husband in here. <laughs> right. So what, so you, you explain what's going on psychologically, what's happening. Yeah, I think um, psychologically, um, I mean, um, we all like to aspire for a better self, right? I think, one of the basic needs that humans have is the need to grow. And uh, I mean, um, as an entrepreneur, of course, a lot of entrepreneurs say, oh, you know what? They talk about Steve Jobs, for example, because, you know, he is kind of, he epitomizes an excellent entrepreneur and a lot of things he did that, you know, very successful entrepreneurs do. So we all try to aspire. So I think a picture is a great thing to aspire to, and especially, um, you're describing, uh, you know, like men, for example, they, they may not be as concerned or as interested in cosmetics, but, you know, 
interview even talking about that or even suggesting it, you're kind of creating a dream, a vision um, in the it's mind. Something of- is possible now. Exactly. And, and you know what's interesting there when when the when the husband comes in and again I I can't tell you how many cases we've done because of that photo. Basically, it, it's almost like the easiest case presentation that Paul or Tim ever have to do because basically it goes like this. Uh, you know, he comes in and says, my wife says that um, I need to have my smile done. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's ready. You know, uh, he doesn't even know what it means at that point, but he said, oh, my wife says I need to make an appointment. You know, because usually Paul starts the conversation of, you know, you know, hey, Bob, what can we do for you? And uh, he said, well, my wife says I need to have my smile done. And she said, there's a photo in your office. And uh, <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to look like that. <laughs> and, and it's usually humorous and playful. Uh, but literally, who did the selling for us before he ever came in? Uh, the wife did. Right, right, right. And like, she's also making commitments, right? She says, I'm going to get my husband to come here. So now she has committed. Right. Now right. she's much more likely to follow through with that commitment. Right, exactly. And, uh, so, I mean, all the principles of influence, for example, commitment, uh, you know, and then it goes back to the human needs. So I think it's, it's fascinating. But w- what you're saying is, um, like, I love your quote, you know, um, a picture is worth a thousand words. Yeah. And uh, that's true today and it'll always be true, uh, you know. And, uh, and also, um, you're not here to sell patients anything. You are help, here to help them get what they want. You know, Absolutely. so the mindset, um, you know, of being the best at what you do. So I really loved your six tips, um, Gary. You know, um, I think they are all wonderful. And I think it's not just about being successful and making money, but it's also about finding happiness and, uh, and uh, creating happiness for others. Uh, like, for example, this idea of, um, you know, high performance team you love and enjoy working with patients who you enjoy taking care of, treatment that gives you satisfaction. All of those things are all about happiness for you or for others. You know, I have to uh, say, I've got a team of 15 at LifeSmiles. It's 18 if you include Paul, Tim, and I. And uh, we truly love our team members. I mean, they're a a work family to us. and I, I absolutely love coming to work with, with these team members because uh, I, we're all on the same page. Uh, we, we truly, you know, love working together. And, um, you know, it's, it's such a joy to be surrounded by people you, tr- you truly enjoy. And, uh, it, you know, it doesn't happen accidentally. You've got to be intentional about it. And you have to do some things to attract and keep the right team members. And uh, it's very, very important. But those last three, you know, high-performance team, you truly love and enjoy working with patients you enjoy taking care of, and treatment mix that gives you satisfaction are sort of uh, the softer side uh, of, of the measurement. You know, the, the, it's, it's harder to measure those things, but uh, it, it can be a, considered a little bit more subjective than objective, but they're equally important because th- those three things really allow you to have the joy in your practice. And face it, let's face it, there's some practices that need a lot more joy. They need a lot more happiness. Right. And if, you'll, if you'll follow those last three, uh, you know, you'll, you'll bring that joy and happiness to your practice. And uh, all of this has to do with building a culture in your practice. And doctors, you know, if you haven't ever thought about it, I want you to start thinking about developing a culture in your practice because a culture is happening whether you're developing it or not. And if you're not 
quarterbacking it. If you're not the one that's actively developing it, beware of what might develop on its own. It may not be the culture that you want. So be intentional uh, and be relentless about developing your culture. And by the way, developing a culture is not a one and done exercise. Well, we did that. We're done. It's an ongoing exercise that you have to do every day. Uh, so maybe that's a, a good parting thought is uh, be intentional about developing your culture and your practice because uh, you get the chance to decide what that is. Uh, and, you know, it could be a reflection of your, your personality. Your practice could be more playful. Uh, it, 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 you know, there's lots of different ways to develop a culture. In fact, it really needs to develop, be developed individually because of the fact that uh, it's so unique. And, uh, but if you're not developing your culture, beware of what is being developed because a culture is being developed, whether you're quarterbacking it or not. And if you're not being intentional about it, it may not be what you want. Right. Absolutely. Um, I think that's wonderful. And I think it then leads to success, you know, the financial independence, the 50% overhead and still having the toys and all the technology you want to have and all the continuing education you want to have. Those are the byproducts exactly. of doing these things. Uh, and, and I like to lead with, you know, the, the one overriding principle in our practice is that we want to take care of patients the way we'd like to be taken care of, clinically and behaviorally. And while that's simple, it's also profound because it guides everything that we do. It, it literally guides every decision made in the practice. We want to take care of people the way we'd like to be taken care of ourselves. It's amazing. I really enjoyed talking to you today, Gary. And I think our listeners would learn a ton from you. And, uh, and we would love to share those tips you shared both in this podcast and the other podcast as part of call notes. So, so not only can they learn, but hopefully they'll practice some of the tips you're giving them in real life. Well, it's been my pleasure to be on the show. Uh, thanks for all that you're doing, Aaron. The, uh, I love the title of your podcast, The Growing uh, Dentist Podcast Show. Uh, and, you know, growth is, is so much fun. Uh, it's all about helping more patients enjoy great oral health. And uh, I love the concept of growth in that positive context. Absolutely. I, one of my favorite movies of all time was Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> of course. And uh, there was a scene there and he goes, either you get busy living or you get busy dying. <laughs> you know? well, I, I, I have also uh, said that, you know, you're either growing or you're dying. Right. Uh, I like the growing part. <laughs> right. Uh, that's one thing that separates humans from every other, you know, species on the planet. We, we know how to grow. Yeah, we do. We do. And, and, uh, you know, dentistry is just such an amazing profession and, uh, uh, you know, the ability to get to change people's lives every day is what makes dentistry so special. Absolutely. And I, I thank you for everything you do, Gary, for, of course, to our listeners, but more importantly, to the wider world of dentistry. I mean, the podcast, uh, um, you know, the Thriving Practice Academy, and, and also your mindset, like you said, you know, what's this, I love that phrase, what is it? pay as long as you're a happy plan. What's, what do you call it? <laughs> pay, pay as long as you're happy plan. That's our plan. But by the way, we, we, I get emails uh, frequently that, that, you know, it says, uh, uh, I, I sort of read one this morning that says, uh, are, are you accepting new clients? And the answer is absolutely. I embrace, you know, just like growth in, in the practice, you always want to make sure your patients know you love to see new patients. And I practice what I preach. Uh, we love seeing new clients, myself and my team. Uh, if you like what you hear and you'd like to uh, 
uh, have a, a, a coach uh, working with you. We'd love the opportunity to work with you and help you develop your ideal practice. When doctors say, what is it that you do? Uh, my elevator pitch is, they say, we help you develop your ideal practice. If that sounds uh, of interest to you, uh, please shoot me an email, uh, Gary. Uh, at Takas, T-A-K-A-C-S, learningcenter.com, Gary at Takas, learningcenter.com. Uh, and shoot me an email and uh, I'll, I'll, reach, I'll reach back out to you and would love to talk to you about how we can help you develop a thriving practice uh, and help you develop the practice of your dreams. Thank you very much, Gary. And thank you everyone for listening. This is your host, Narain, with the Growing Dentist Podcast Show. And please feel free to share this podcast and also check out thrivingdentist.com. That's Gary's podcast and he has more than 300 episodes.